June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Tonight, the murder trial of fired police officer Derek Chauvin begins as the country and the world watches in one of the most highly anticipated trials of a generation. Prosecutors tell jurors to remember the number, nine minutes and 29 seconds, the agonizing amount of time Chauvin knelt on George Floyd's neck as they show the video. No justice! Outside the courthouse, Floyd's family takes a knee in his honor. But the defense argues heart disease and drug use caused Floyd's death. The first witness tonight, and how long the trial could last. Springtime surge, cases spiking in at least half the country. Why the head of the CDC is warning of impending doom. But right now I'm scared. Please hold on a little while longer. Vaccine passports? Could you be required to have proof of a shot? As President Biden promises, 90% of adults will be eligible within weeks. Plus the stunning admission from former President Trump's pandemic coordinator. State of emergency. Fast rising floodwaters kill at least seven people in Tennessee. Others rescued from homes and cars. Giant cargo ship freed what it took to stop the traffic jam in the Suez Canal that held up billions of dollars a day in trade. Crisis at the border, 500 unaccompanied teenage girls housed in a facility in San Diego. Hundreds more moving in as the city vows to protect them. Tonight, an emotional family reunion. And letters home. Tonight, the new virtual exhibit honoring veterans of the Vietnam War. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We are going to begin with the high profile murder trial of Derek Chauvin and a defining moment in how many Americans view racial equity, justice and the rule of law. Ten months after George Floyd died in Minneapolis police custody, today prosecutors began making their case against former officer Derek Chauvin, saying repeatedly that the 19-year veteran of the police force refused to let up or get up as Floyd pleaded for his life. Even as bystanders repeatedly begged him to remove his knee from Floyd's neck. Chauvin's attorney said it was drugs and a heart condition that were to blame for Floyd's death. For millions watching the case play out on live television, what began last summer with outrage and protests and a movement for social justice tonight became a window into the American system of criminal justice. With jurors and viewers watching the agonizing video of Floyd's last nine and a half minutes alive and hearing from the first witnesses in the case. So as we come on the air tonight, the city of Minneapolis is on high alert with businesses boarded up and the National Guard standing by. CBS's Jamie Ucas is following the trial for us and is going to lead off our coverage from just outside the courthouse. Good evening, Jamie. 
Good evening, Nora. Three witnesses for the prosecution testified today, including one who shot seven videos of the incident and another who says he heard Floyd plead for his life. But nothing may have been more impactful on the jury than those opening statements. Family and supporters kneeling in remembrance of George Floyd just moments before the long-awaited trial of former police officer Derek Chauvin began. You will learn that on May 25th of 2020, Mr. Derek Chauvin betrayed this badge. In opening statements, Prosecutor Jerry Blackwell making the case that Chauvin's use of excessive and unreasonable force caused Floyd's death. He put his knees upon his neck and his back, grinding and crushing him. The prosecution then showed the jury nine minutes and 29 seconds of cell phone video that shocked the world. Floyd insisting he can't breathe more than 20 times. I can't breathe. Bystanders pleading with officers to do something. Bro, but you could get him off the ground. You've been a bum right now. Six minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes in. The man ain't moved yet, bro. Jurors watched Floyd lose consciousness. Chauvin took notes as the video played. I would tell you that you can believe your eyes. Uh, that it's a homicide, it's murder. Don't leave me by myself, man, please. But defense attorney Eric Nelson argued Floyd's death was caused by underlying heart disease and drug use. And you will learn that Derek Chauvin did exactly what he had been trained to do over the course of his 19-year career. Officers initially responded to a call about a counterfeit $20 bill. The evidence will show that when confronted by police, Mr. Floyd put drugs in his mouth in an effort to conceal them from the police. The defense says officers struggled to get Floyd to comply. This was not an easy struggle. Floyd's death sparked protests on a scale not seen since the civil rights movement. Chauvin is charged with second and third degree murder and second degree manslaughter. The second degree murder count carries up to 40 years in prison. The jury is made up of nine women and five men. Of those, eight are white, four are black, and two identify as multiracial. CBS News legal analyst Ricky Kleeman says this was a crucial day for both prosecution and defense. There are studies that say that 80% of the jurors' minds are made up at the end of the opening statements. The trial's first witness, 911 dispatcher Jenna Scurry. She testified that she called the police on the police after seeing what was happening to Floyd while watching from a surveillance camera. My instincts were telling me that something's wrong. Something has not right. I don't know what, but something wasn't right. In a rare move, prosecutors will pit police officers against each other. They plan to call the chief of police and several Minneapolis Police Department employees who will testify to Chauvin using excessive force. The case is expected to last four weeks. Nora. Jamie Ukas with excellent reporting tonight. Thank you. Let's turn now to CBS News Chief Justice Correspondent Jeff Begays, who's been covering this case since the beginning. And, and Jeff, the prosecution made clear they're going to try and prove that Chauvin is guilty of murder because of that excessive force used. Yeah, but Chauvin's attorney is arguing that the veteran officer did exactly what he was trained to do, that there was really nothing out of the ordinary here. But I got to say, I, over the last 10 months, I've talked to police commanders, rank and file officers, and they've been trying to distance themselves from Chauvin because many of them believe that he went too far. How hard is it 
to find a, a cop, a former officer, guilty? It is rare. And we looked into the numbers and the numbers of a group that looks into uh, crime by police officers. And here's what they found. Take a look. Between 2005 and 2019, 139 officers charged. Now, of those, and look at this number, only 44 convicted. And the reality is, Nora, that jurors tend to give police officers the benefit of the doubt, essentially saying that they should have the power to do their jobs, protect themselves and others. Powerful video evidence shown today. Jeff Begay's. thank you. And we're going to turn now to the COVID pandemic and an impassioned plea tonight from the head of the CDC to not let down our guard. That's because with cases now spiking again in at least half the country, President Joe Biden today calling on governors to reimpose those mask mandates. Here's CBS's Mola Lenghi. Tonight, fourth wave fears. I'm going to reflect on the recurring feeling I have of impending doom. As cases continue to rise nationwide, blunt words from the head of the CDC. So much reason for hope, but right now I'm scared. So I'm speaking today not necessarily as your CDC director, but as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter, to ask you to just please hold on a little while longer. Cases are up more than 10% with hospitalizations on the rise. As life looks more like it did pre-pandemic in much of the country. 43 states have allowed most or all businesses to reopen, and 17 don't have mask mandates. This, as much of Europe, is seeing another spike, and doctors say Paris hospitals are about to hit catastrophic overload. The trajectory of the pandemic in the United States looks similar to many other countries in Europe. I'm calling on our elected officials to sound the alarm. We must work together now to prevent a fourth surge. New Jersey now seeing the nation's largest spike in cases per capita. We have to keep up the fight and to push back against our pandemic fatigue. And Florida seeing reported cases of the more contagious UK variant, more than doubling just in the past four days. But there is some good news tonight. A new CDC study of healthcare workers showing the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are 90% effective after two doses and 80% effective after just one, and that the vaccines can reduce asymptomatic infections. President Biden making an announcement today. That is by April 19th, three weeks from today, 90% of adults, people over 18 and over, will be eligible to get vaccinated. Meanwhile, as the death toll nears 550,000, a stunning admission from President Trump's former pandemic coordinator. There were about 100,000 deaths that came from that original surge. All of the rest of them, in my mind, could have been mitigated or decreased substantially. 800 people a day get vaccinated here at Lenox Health in Manhattan. And starting tomorrow, New Yorkers age 30 and older will be eligible for their first dose. Last Friday, New York became the first state to roll out a vaccine passport, which is basically a smartphone app that proves you've been vaccinated, something the Biden administration says they're helping develop standards for nationwide, Nora. Mullalenghi, thank you. Well, tonight, flood watches and warnings are posted in several states across the South, including Tennessee, where at least seven people have died and rivers and streams continue to rise. CBS's Jesse Mitchell is in the state's capital. The deadly flash flood swept through Nashville with little warning. Good Samaritans and emergency crews carrying out more than 240 rescues in Nashville and neighboring counties this weekend. The teams responded bravely, 
to uh, rescue people from their homes and cars. Has yeah. it ever flooded like that before? Well, not since I've been here. May Davis's apartment complex had waist-high flooding. She escaped as water started coming through her first floor window. What did you see when you came out? When I came out, it was water coming down the hallway. Yeah. It's, you said it's time to go. Time to go. <laughs> 911 operators were fielding emergency calls constantly during the storm that took seven lives. The mayor declaring a state of emergency after the city received more than seven inches of rain in 48 hours. That is the second highest two-day rainfall total in our history. The historic storm comes after tornadoes tore through West Tennessee this weekend. The same system bringing high winds to the northeast, causing damage and downed power lines. You can see just how high those powerful floodwaters got. Already they have receded back to a babbling brook. Davis and her neighbors haven't even been able to get inside to start cleanup yet. And they're already bracing for another round of rain and potentially more floodwaters. Nora. Jesse Mitchell on the scene tonight. Thank you, Jesse. Well, tonight, there's no let up in the waves of immigrants trying to get into the U.S. at the southern border. Many are children. This group of more than 40 minors was taken into custody on Sunday. CBS's Lilia Luciano reports now from a facility in San Diego. Tonight, a scramble for shelter. The San Diego Convention Center now housing 500 migrant girls between the ages of 13 and 17 who crossed the border alone. Another 250 are expected to arrive later tonight, where they will stay until they can be reunited with family, a sponsor, or head to a long-term shelter. We're in an emergency response posture. This is a humanitarian issue, and so it's not about warehousing children. It's not about tinfoil blankets and cages. That is not what we're doing here. It's part of the race to find space for the more than 18,000 unaccompanied migrant children now in U.S. custody. The Department of Health and Human Services will open nine emergency facilities with more than 16,000 beds and is considering opening more sites for children. Unaccompanied children seeking asylum can stay, but most families and single adults are returned into Mexico, putting them back in danger. Like 15-year-old Leonor and her father Jose. Jose was a pastor in El Salvador helping gang members find a way out of the gangs. Had I not left, I probably would be dead by now. All my family would have been killed. They fled El Salvador after the gangs killed some of their family members. Last October, Leonor crossed alone in Texas, leaving her father behind in Mexico. It was very hard because I love my father very much. Leonor stayed with family in the Northeast after a six-month separation. She finally reunited with her father this month. Thank you, God, for giving us an opportunity to be together. I'm so happy and emotional because we're together after so many months without seeing him. Reunions like that one are the best case scenario, but making that happen for tens of thousands will take time. The girls who are arriving here will stay for an average of 30 days, and tonight 500 boys are set to arrive to a similar facility that just opened up in San Antonio, Texas. Nora. Lilia Luciano, thank you. Tonight, a huge cargo ship that had been blocking the Suez Canal for nearly a week is finally free. The Ever Given had been holding up hundreds of ships and billions of dollars in cargo. Here's CBS's Charlie Daggett. Tugboat crews sounded their horns and cheered in celebration after wrestling the stern of the colossal container ship off the shoreline. 
Ten tugboats combined with a spring-high tide and a full moon, providing enough buoyancy to float the boat. Satellite images showed the ship yanked offshore with the tugs trying to straighten it out. The 220,000-ton vessel, the length of the Empire State Building, has been stuck since Tuesday, blown sideways in a sandstorm. The jam created a backlog of more than 370 ships carrying commodities from crude oil to cattle. With more than 12% of the world's shipping trade passing through the Suez Canal, the blockage was costing billions. What sort of impact will this have had? Well, every day about seven, eight billion dollars worth of cargo travels through the canal. So we've had a week where, the, you know, the, essentially that's all stopped. Now on the move again, the Ever Given headed to a wider part of the canal for further inspection. Out of harm's way and everyone else's way, too. Charlie Daggett, CBS News, London. Well, tonight, New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo is facing a new accusation of sexual misconduct. Sherry Ville, a married mother of three, claims that Cuomo forcibly kissed her on both cheeks during a visit to her flood-damaged home in 2017. Eight other women accuse the governor of misconduct. He denies touching anyone inappropriately. Federal investigators are looking into the cause of a helicopter crash in Alaska that killed five people, including one of the world's richest men. The helicopter went down in a remote area on Saturday. One of the victims was Peter Kellner, a businessman from the Czech Republic who had an estimated fortune of more than $17 billion. They were going heliskiing. All right. Tonight, uh, the federal ban on evicting tenants who have fallen behind on their rent due to the pandemic is now extended through the end of June. It was set to expire this week. The ban prevents renters from being forced out of their homes and into shelters, further spreading the coronavirus. On this Vietnam War Veterans Day, President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden laid a wreath at the Vietnam Memorial right here in Washington, D.C., And online, a new virtual exhibit is taking Americans back to the front lines of the war through the voices of our U.S. troops. Here's CBS's David Martin. Vietnam, so costly, so divisive, so fruitless. War many Americans would rather forget. But the soldiers left an indelible record in their letters home, now collected by Andrew Carroll. They humanize the men and women who serve. They remind us that they're not statistics, that these are individual spouses and parents and children and best friends. My dearest wife, wrote Lieutenant Dean Allen, maybe sometime I'll even try to tell you how scared I have been. He's 27 and his men are younger. They grow up fast or get killed. Four days after he wrote that, Lieutenant Allen stepped on a landmine and lost his own life. The letters are now online in an entirely virtual museum. At the center of the exhibit is a Marine from the cover of Life magazine. His name was lost to history until Carroll found this letter. That's pretty much the last letter he wrote to his mother, and he was saying very poignantly, "Um, I don't know what I'll do when I get home, but I know I'll like it. Five decades later, we finally know his name. Lance Corporal Arthur Bustamante. He left us a picture of the face of war that will never die, and his own words to go with it. David Martin, CBS News, Washington. And you can share letters you have with the Center for American War Letters on their website, warletters.us. A note on tomorrow's CBS Evening News, our series Unifying America, and a photographer teaching children about civil rights leaders by helping them embody these heroes. 
Just a reminder that if you can't watch us live, don't forget to set your DVR so you can watch us later. That is tonight's CBS Evening News. Guess what? March Madness continues next right here on CBS. I'm Nora O'Donnell. See you tomorrow. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey.